Okay, open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. We got a one-verse passage today, Matthew 5.20. And uh, this verse is introductory to, to everything we're going to find along the way uh, in the things that follow. We're about to enter this section where he says, You have heard, but I tell you. You have heard, but I tell you. You have heard, but I tell you. And uh, in each one of these, he talks about... Uh, what the law has been understood to mean, and I'm going to tell you more about it. That's what he's going to say. And he's going to make the law more difficult <laughs> as he goes into these things. Uh, but first, he, he, he gives us this little introductory verse, par- verse or paragraph. For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and he gives us then he starts giving, giving, giving us examples. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. Uh, and, and he goes on and says, but I say to you, whoever's angry. And, and he just makes it more difficult. Uh, he's teaching us that God wants not only obedience in an outward form, but he wants obedience from a heart. He wants hearts that are moved to him. Uh, he's asking for the goodness that is reflected in things like obedience. And it's a good standard for us to strive for. But if you look at the cover of the bullet and you get this impression like, wow, that is, is impossible. Uh, you see this guy carrying this huge burden on his back that's just impossible to carry. I look at that and I go, can't be done. <laughs> uh-uh. I've, I've tried to move big rocks before. <laughs> you ain't carrying those on your back. Uh, it's impossible to reach. So I'm going to start with this question. What is Jesus' purpose? What is he trying to accomplish by this? And, 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 and by, by simply asking that question, some of you may go, well, what do you mean what is his purpose? His words are his words. Why do you try to, to, to figure out something behind his words? It's like his words mean what they mean. What would you do? with that. And I like that, but let me complicate it for you, (laughs) just in case you think this is simple. Uh, Some will teach that this is a passage of law and not grace, and therefore it doesn't apply to the Christian today, and it has nothing really to do with us. If you look at this, you recognize, well, the gospel hasn't been presented yet, right? This is early in the gospel, (laughs) right? The gospel hasn't been preached yet, as in trust in Jesus and be saved. Jesus is speaking to Jewish people. He is a Jewish rabbi, and he is speaking to them about the law. And and so it's an entire Jewish context, everything about it. He's teaching the law to people under the law and clarifying the standards of the law. And because this is a prior to grace passage, uh, they say it really doesn't apply to us because we belong to the age of grace and not to law. And so some people will take this passage and entirely set it aside and say it doesn't matter for us. Okay, Uh, some people will teach this is the first step to grace, and and you've heard me share this before, and if you've ever tried to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know they need to be saved, you realize before very long you're not accomplishing much. And so he's showing us how what utter failures we are uh, as far as keeping the law, and because we have this inability to law, uh, uh, inability to keep the law, he's giving us the first point in the gospel to show us we have a need. And if you can take a person who thinks he is doing well enough to get to heaven on his own and make him realize that he's not, you have done a good thing. You have accomplished a good purpose. You're off to a good start. And by the way, that naturally flows out of the verse because he says, unless your righteousness far surpasses surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about how you enter the kingdom of heaven. He says you need a righteousness better than the experts on righteous. You know, think about that most annoyingly righteous person you know. (laughs) That guy. He says unless you're better than that guy, uh, you're not going to make it. He doesn't say just your righteousness surpasses theirs. He says 
far surpasses theirs. Uh, he's, he's asking for a lot. You've got to be on the God squad. You know, you're actually better than the God squad. And Jesus is implying that it can't be done, and we need something more. And both of these understandings, and, and I, I agree much more with the second one than the first, but they both carry the same danger, which is that we simply throw away what is said here about how we are to behave because he's only making another point with it. And I firmly believe that he is also saying, by the way, this is the way you should behave. And he is not simply to giving us standards we shouldn't acquire. Shouldn't be, we, we should say, well, I can't reach them, but we should also be trying to reach them. Just because you can't do it doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit more. Uh, the, Jesus is showing us the righteousness we can't achieve, but he's also showing us how to be more righteous. He is giving us something to strive for in personal righteousness. If we try to be legally righteous, our best hope is to attain what the Pharisees obtained, which is this legalistic, self-righteous facade that, that they present. If we try to be actually righteous from the heart, we will become much more Christ-like. So I think at the same time, this is telling us uh, what we cannot achieve. It is also telling us try to achieve it, but don't try to achieve it by following the laws more. It takes more than that. You won't gain more than the, the Pharisees. Uh, so he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that, far surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So, so let's explore what their righteousness was like for a few minutes. Because they were the possessors of a legalistic righteousness. They were those who stood up and said, look at me. I am righteous. And when I say that, you go, nobody actually does that. Well, not in our society, but in their society, yeah, they really did. And they put themselves on display as if they had, had accomplished that. And so, so if you want to see that, if, if you want to know, uh, you can, Matthew 23 is a really good chapter to remember which chapter it is. Uh, Matthew chapter 23 is the chapter of the, uh, of the Bible that tells us what Jesus doesn't like. You go, but he's Jesus. He had to like everything. <laughs> no, no. No, he didn't. Jesus didn't have to like everything, and he didn't. This is the chapter where Jesus denounces the scribes and the Pharisees. This is the chapter where we see Jesus venting, if that's the correct word, venting on the scribes and the Pharisees. And we're going to go here to look at the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So let's start with verses 1 and 2, Okay, chapter 23 of Matthew. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Right? He says they seated themselves in the chair of Moses, and then he says, Therefore, whatever they tell you, do, and comply with it all. But do not do as they do, for they say things, and do not do them. So, so he, he says, listen to what they say. They're seated in the seat of Moses, meaning they are the presenters of the law. They, Moses is the lawgiver, and they are giving the law. They're giving the law that Moses gave. And, and so he says, listen to what they say. This is the law of Moses. It's worth listening to. But don't pay attention to what they do. He says, do what they say because they're right. Even though they are poor examples, they still are teaching the truth. And it, by the way, that speaks of the importance of what you teach by your actions. Because he says, do what they do, but please don't look at what they, I do what they say, but please don't look at what they do. Because what they do is a very, very poor example of what we're supposed to be like. Uh, and, and here's the thing, is, is if you are a hypocrite, <laughs> even if your words are right, uh, you're teaching hypocrisy. You're not teaching truth, you're teaching hypocrisy. Uh, verse 15, 
of this same chapter, chapter, chapter 23, he says, Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever... Sw-. That's not the verse I wanted. The verse I wanted was 16. Oh, I, that's right. Thank you. I was reading the wrong verse. That's why it wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. What's he saying? He says, when you finally get someone to be like you, he's worse than you. Because what you have done is you have trained trained him up in your pattern and not the pattern that God wants. And you have created a brand new... This is what the world needs is more legalists. That's, That's what the world... Wouldn't the world be better if we had more legalists running around, judgmental and criticizing everybody and finding fault with everybody for everything? Well, we need more people like that, don't we? <laughs> he says, that's, the be- that's what they accomplish. That's what they accomplish. They go around in their hypocrisy and they bring, bring converts to themselves, those few people who they are able to reach, but they make them worse than themselves. The, the, even if, and by the way, this is a great trap. I stand up here as a preacher who preaches God's word. And, and here's the trap is you can't only preach the part of God's word that you've lived up to. <laughs> Because you're not going to be saying very much. <laughs> but you have to live up to what you preach. And, and I, I'm, I'm just telling you, if you want to say, if you want to accuse me of being a hypocrite, I've given you ammo for a lot of years, <laughs> right? And you can say, Steve, you said this, you didn't live up to it. You say, okay, you know, and, and that's the trap. But, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully what you see is, is the heart of someone who's trying right? Uh, hopefully, uh, you see the hardest. And, and by the way, that's a huge difference because all, simply the trying protects you from hypocrisy. None of us is the perfect example of Christ that we want to be. None of us is the perfect example of Christianity that we ought to be. But we, if we try to live up to our words, then I think we're doing well. But let's stay in chapter 23 of Matthew. Let's go to 23, verse 23. Because we're talking about the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, right? Unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill. And is it cumin or cumin? How do you say that word? Cumin? Okay. I don't cook. (laughs) I wouldn't know. Uh, And you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done. And then he has this without neglecting the others. In other words, he doesn't say, by the way, it's wrong to tithe mint and dill and cumin. (laughs) He just says you should, should be paying attention to the larger things. Instead, you're focusing on the smaller things. And they were, they were so rigidly right, they tithed from their herb garden. And I'm really curious. I mean, this is one of those little, it's not one of the things I'm just dying to find out, but it's one of the things my curiosity has piqued. How did they do that? Right? Did they do it by volume, kind of spread it out on the table, you know, and then take a knife and, and kind of divide off what they thought was about a tenth of that? Or did they have little scales, you know, and, and they measured, dumped it on the scale and they measured it out and they figured out what their, their tenth, and then, did, and then did they sell that? and take the money from that to the, to the fair temple? Or did they actually bring their little pouch of seeds? <laughs> you know, here you go. <laughs> you know, I'm tithing my mint. Aren't I holy? All right. Uh, I, I don't know how they did it, whatever they did, but they really did it. They really did it. But did they love just, uh, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with their God? Right? Did, did they do those things? Right? 
The greatest commandment, still in the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, we're in Matthew 23 looking at these things. Let's go back one chapter to Matthew 22. Okay, Matthew 22, this is, this is part of why Jesus became so angry with the Pharisees, is they kept trying to trap him. Uh, but he was angry because they were of the bad example they were mostly. The, the worst thing the church needs is the wrong people teaching Christianity, right? People who are teaching Christianity badly or falsely and not representing Christ accurately because they are, they, people think that they are representing Christ. And, and instead of representing Christ and leading people to Christ, they're misrepresenting Christ and leading people astray. And, and that is who we find Jesus reserving his anger for, is those people who are serving God in name, but serving Satan in truth by leading people away from God. But in chapter 22, uh, we have these Pharisees and scribes before him, and, and uh, we have a lawyer who comes up to him. Verse, verse uh, 35 starting at verse 35, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And you expect him to go to the Ten Commandments, but he doesn't. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, which is a verse out of Deuteronomy, right? This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. And uh, I'm going to skip down to verse 46. No one was able to offer him a word in answer, nor did anyone dare from that day on to question him anymore. If we were to go over to the gospel of Mark, we find Mark asked the same, same thing, and, and the lawyer said, teacher, you have said truly. They recognized that what Jesus he says, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, love your neighbors yourself. They recognized he was right. This was a common understanding among them, and I think maybe they thought he was going to say something else because he said something else to almost everything they said, right? But this time, he said what they agreed with. They knew those were the greatest commandments. If you love the Lord your God if you, uh, with all your heart, if you love and all you are, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to accomplish everything God wants us to accomplish and do everything he does. The difference was that Jesus showed it by his actions, and they didn't. And Jesus said, said this man was not far from the kingdom of heaven. They did understand what the thing is. They, under, they agreed with his answer. But what they did at the same time, they agreed in, in, in words with his answer. But they did not agree by how they behaved. And so they found themselves doing things like tithing their seeds, their, their herb garden seeds. Uh, they tithed those things, but they didn't show mercy. They didn't do justly. They didn't walk humbly before their... In fact, they did the exact opposite of walking humbly before their God. Anyone who walks around and says, I am good enough for God, my righteousness will cut it, uh, is not walking humbly before God. They are, they are walking arrogantly before God. They clearly do not understand who God is and, and do not ever find yourself thinking, I'm good enough. And, and you may be really good. You may be better than the rest of us. Might not be much to brag about. <laughs> you may be better than the rest of us, but you don't have a place to brag before God. Good grief. Don't, don't, don't pretend your own righteousness. Do justly, love humbly. By the way, that's Micah chapter 6, verse 8, I think. Yeah. Um, do, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But you know what they did? 
was they focused on the outward signs of righteousness that they could, they could quantify. They focused on those things that they could prove they were doing. And more than that, by doing that, they were able to compare themselves with other people and say, I'm doing better than you. By, by focusing on those things, by, by focusing on one, those kinds of things. Uh, they, 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 focused, they avoided the things that actually called for righteousness. But how do you prove? You know, well, how do you prove you're doing justly or loving mercy? And so they, they, they would do judge justice based on the criteria that they had accepted and set forward as their standards of righteousness. Uh, and based on that, they said they were better than other people or they were doing better. And it was all about, it actually came back to themselves and focusing on themselves and proclaiming themselves. Once they'd mastered the outward righteousness demonstrated by their handling of these details, they were ready to judge other people by the same criteria. See that guy? He calls himself a Christian. He doesn't even tithe his seed. <laughs> I know I'm talking with farmers in the room, and you go, that seed's expensive, buddy. <laughs> so let's go back to the herb seed. I don't know how much herb seed is worth. I don't know the value of these things, but it's not the same as your wheat seed. So um, I think that's important to, to, to hang on. Uh, and once they mas- mastered their, these things, uh, they, they judge people by those standards. And then we have Jesus coming back and calling, describing them as swallowing gnats, I mean, straining out gnats and swallowing camels. And you want to know where that verse is, because that's one of the famous things. You, you rotten people, you strain out camels, but you swallow gnats. Guess where that's found? Back in Matthew 23. <laughs> it's in that same passage. It's uh, Matthew 23, verse 24. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, I don't know about you. Everybody in favor of straining out the gnats? Mmm. <laughs> no, we don't. We strain out. We don't want the gnats. But are you going to just swallow a camel by accident either? And you go, that's absurd. Yeah, exactly. It's about as absurd as thinking that if you tithe, if you are strict enough by tithing those little things, but you can ignore righteousness or justice or mercy, that you're okay. It's absurd. It's preposterous. And that's exactly the point he's trying to make. So, I just got to this point. Good news. Good news, right? Because if that's what the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees are like, (laughs) it's pretty easy to be more righteous than them. (laughs) Good news. Our our righteousness far surpasses us. Because some of us may struggle, right, with issues of legalism. Some of us may struggle by wanting to make sure people see our righteousness. You know, we may want to make sure people notice that we're dropping money in the offering or, or, or uh, helping an old lady across the street. Or, you know, we want to make sure we, we, we get attention for doing... You know, we may struggle with that. We may have weaknesses of wanting to judge people and finding reason to find fault with people. We may have judges or weaknesses like that, like the scribes and Pharisees who were judging people and eager to be critical. We may have weaknesses like that based on how people meet up to our standards. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure we want to uphold those bigger issues. I'm pretty sure that even though we may struggle with some of those smaller things, uh, we're not trying to uphold a list of rules, but to please God. Right? And, And that means your heart is in a better place, which means you're more righteous the scribes and Pharisees, which means you can walk out going, yeah. (laughs) No, don't you dare do that. (laughs) 
just having that as a goal almost certainly makes us better than the rule-bound legalists that the scribes and Pharisees were. But does that make us good enough? I'm going to squash that whole thought. Uh, again, in the Gospel of Matthew, this time flipping back to chapter 11. Matthew 11, 11. In Matthew 11, 11, he's saying something about John the Baptist and people who make it to heaven. It says, John the Baptist was the best there ever was, period. Right? Truly I say to you, among those born of women... So I guess Adam and Eve are off the hook. <laughs> Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He's the best. That's all there is to it. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, was John the Baptist a rigid legalist? <laughs> was John the Baptist someone who only served God out of form or show or display? You go, no, no, he pretty much obviously was not that. John the Baptist was a guy who obviously served God from the heart. He's described as the best ever. But still, based on his own righteousness, he was not good enough. Because when he says the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him, that makes a statement that John the Baptist in his own greatness is not enough to be even the least, which means he, he doesn't make it on his own. And so that whole idea, well, then I'm better than the scribes and Pharisees, so I'm okay, just got squashed, didn't it? It got, it got smashed flat. And so we come to the only way of having a righteousness that we need is, is to have a righteousness that is not our own. And that, by the way, is the same righteousness that everyone who does make it to heaven will have, which is the, the word is imputed. Forgive me for using a theological word. I hate to use theological words, but imputed righteousness. Jesus' righteousness given to us. Jesus' righteousness credited to our accounts. Because all my righteousness accomplishes nothing as far as earning my ticket into heaven. But Jesus' righteousness being put on my account does everything. And you want to know something, still in Matthew 11, right? It's, it's sometimes I am just struck by the power of the proximity of things in Scripture, where they fall in relationship to other things in Scripture. Because Matthew 11, 11 says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And you talk about what a horrible burden of righteousness. And then we look at 28 through 29, same chapter. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we've been looking at all these commandments and the righteousness of the law and the importance of the law and, 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 and all of these things, uh, but in the end, it's his that we carry, and his yoke is comfortable and his burden is light. But Jesus still wants us to be righteous. I and mean, we don't say, I've got the righteousness of Jesus, therefore I can do anything I want. I had a man once tell me, you know, I've got this church thing figured out. So long as I go to church on Sunday, I can do anything I want the rest of the week. And as near as I can tell, he pretty much did, right? And he has patting himself on the back. He had this theology all figured out. He did not. He still wants us to strive for those, but the pressure of having to attain a perfect standard is gone, right? Uh, 
with the pressure of performance gone, it becomes easy to do a better job. And I thought about that statement. With the pressure of performance gone, it is easier to do a better job. And I first thought, I thought, well, that's hard to justify. But then I thought, well, wait a minute. Imagine two cooks. One cooks because he needs to make money, and the other cooks because he loves to cook. Which one, whose food do you want to eat? You go, well, the one who loves to cook is going to do the better job. Okay? Two teachers. One who teaches because he needs a job, and the other teaches because he loves to teach. Who's going to be the better teacher? Two dog walkers. Who's going to be the better dog walker? Two fitness trainers. <laughs> Two farmers. Can you be a farmer if you don't love to farm? <laughs> the answer is not a good one. <laughs> if you, I mean, there, I don't know any farmers who hate to farm. But I suspect if there are, they're not very good farmers. Two people trying to please God. One, because he's got a list of rules that he knows he needs to live up to, and that's how he's going to please God. And one, because he loves God. Wow. Yeah. Wow. The person who insists on achieving his own righteousness will never be good enough. Ever. The person who accepts Christ's goodness instead of his own is not only credited with being good enough because you have Christ's righteousness with you, but your own personal righteousness will be better as well. And it won't be a hypocritic, in-your-face, ha-ha, look, I'm holier-than-you righteousness. It will be an honest righteousness. Uh, and I, I hate, you know, I'm, I'm like, I don't know if the rest of you, you just hear the word righteousness, and you kind of get this icky feeling down the spine. It's like, I hate that word, but it's the right word here. Goodness I like better. I don't think it means the same thing. The secret to righteousness is not a list of rules. The secret to righteousness uh, is to love God. It is not achieved by strictness. It is achieved by desire. And if you have been trying to please God and attain heaven by your personal goodness, understand that, that it is not good enough. You have failed, but that that's okay. Okay? God loves you and wants to give you that righteousness you need. And... I want to ask you, if that is you, I want to urge you, if that is you, to simply tell God, first, first you might apologize to him for being so foolish. Yeah. Dear God, I'm sorry that I've been trying to do on my own what you have already done for me. And I can't do it myself anyway. And I thank you for the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to put that into words and pray it. If you'd like to pray it with me, I invite you to do that. We're going to close with our song that we heard a little bit ago. Dear Jesus, I apologize for my feeble attempts at righteousness that, that I thought might be good enough to please you. Lord Jesus, I ask that you forgive me for my foolishness and that you give me that gift of salvation that you did die to, pay, to give for me. And I receive that gift of forgiveness and eternal life that only you can give. Lord Jesus, I offer up the righteousness I do have and the things that I can do as gifts to you of love and faithfulness and obedience. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you do for us, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.